If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I am your host, Ramses Job. Big shout out to my man, Q Ward, who is off in Manila, literally, because that's what he does. Lucky him. Um, <laughs> but I'd like to also say lucky me because I am here with the brilliant mind that is Ia Afo. And I'm also here with a good friend of the show and a fellow activist once upon a time and a fellow do-gooder and uh, one of my favorite people, Leanna Taylor. Um, and we are having a conversation about generational trauma that I feel is very important for you to stick around for the second half of the show and listen to and learn from the conversation that we're having today that so far has been very informative. And I know we're not going to cover everything, but we'll definitely be sure to leave you with some connective tissue so you can do some independent studies and hopefully uh, create a link with you Ia, yes. uh, and the work that you're doing. But um, for now, we have to take a pause and teach you a new way to become a better ally. B-A-B-A, Baba. And today's Baba is sponsored by Friends of the Movement. You can sign up for the free voter wallet from FOTMglobal.com to support black businesses and allied businesses, as well as make an impact with your spending. Again, that's FOTMglobal.com. All right. I want you to check out hist HealHistoricalTrauma.com. <laughs> and uh, you can become a historical trauma specialist with a certification in from IAAFO. Cultural competence begins with respecting generational trauma. All right. Uh, this is the only entity offering a comprehensive 48-hour historical trauma specialist certification program. The program is broken into six levels and is built on a foundation of BIPOC cultures and neurobiology. It is taught from a multicultural perspective, injecting traditions and ideology from various cultures from around the world. This inclusive study relies on the ancient tradition of storytelling, visual art, and interconnected relationships to international, sorry, intentionally explore difficult topics. The indigenous teaching methods are woven with current academia and research, along with coveted knowledge from medicine women and men, traditional historians and cultural leaders from various African, Native American, Aboriginal and Asian communities to solidify the following topics. Indigenous wellness, historical, collective and intergenerational trauma, epigenetics, colonization, structural racism, race-based traumatic stress, anti-racist detachment, cultural attachment theory, the list goes on. <laughs> For more information, Visit HealHistoricalTrauma.com and get your certification as a historical trauma specialist. Um, and if nothing else, again, HealHistoricalTrauma.com. It'll give you some insights, some, some tangible stuff, some shareable stuff that you can use outside of radio and outside of the podcast, wherever it is you're listening to this content that you can take with you or share with other people who might benefit from it. All right. Back to the lecture at hand. To quote Snoop Dogg. I'm chomping at the bit. Yes. Okay. I've been waiting mm. to be able to say this. I'm blown away that you use, I mean, we're aligned in a lot of ways. Okay. Oh, but okay. yeah, we are. Uh, I'm I'm blown away that you use this example of the barrel of laughs. Mm. Collectivist people, people from collectivist cultures have what some scientists call the funny bone gene. Okay. I won't get too sciencey because then okay. I'll lose you. Okay. Well, no, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to okay. explain it without all the science, but we, our genetics are different and we have this gene for laughter and for humor. So when we are in environments where we're not able to laugh and have collective humor, mm -hmm. It disturbs our neurological regulation. There's parts of the brain 
that are designed for us to laugh collectively. Mm. Every single thing that you mentioned that you said, well, we also, you were quoting someone and you said, well, you know, we had these barrel of laughs, but then we also bounced babies on the knee and we um, had interconnected relationships and we got together and all of those things. Mm. All of those things as human beings were wired for that. So when we have um, interconnectedness and we have relationships, it allows our brain to release the feel goods into our system, right? The dopamine, the serotonin, the oxytocin, the things that make us feel good, make us feel joy, pleasure, um, safety. Mm. And so when we don't have an opportunity for those things, when that is stripped of us, right? This is another part of our culture, right? Culture and neurobiology go hand in hand. In fact, we have studies now, uh, you know, a, a science known as cultural neurobiology, because we're understanding that culture and neurobiology go together. Mm. If we are people from a collectivist uh, culture and we're environment in environments where we don't dance collectively, where we don't sing collectively, where we don't have an opportunity to laugh, it's going to disturb our neurobiology. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me, right, that we weren't allowed to laugh on the on the uh plantation, mm -hmm. nor does it surprise me that we were always trying to get together to laugh mm -hmm. because the brain is always seeking regulation, working on the plantation, right? We're neurologically dysregulated because we're always in fear. And those moments of laughter, those moments of connectedness, those moments of babies on our lap allows us to activate the pleasure center of our brain which then allows us to have the dopamine release where we can feel joy and pleasure and safety. Mm. So it's just, it's, you know, that story is really in alignment with what I'm talking I see, about. I see what you mean. Yeah. These are ways that we can heal ourselves. You see, we're looking, our community is in trouble, right? Our communities need healing. And we think that we're going to get that healing from Western medicine. We think we're going to get that healing from outside providers and outside people, but we have the capacity to become self-healing communities we have the capacity we're wired we have the innate ability to heal ourselves we just have to be reminded because our ancestors knew how to manage adversity but through colonization we've been stripped of our cultural identity and we no longer know how to, to manage adversity you know I, I see what you mean about her um she's uh something special <laughs> something huh? special yeah i think that's yeah. that's that's a, that's a bit of an understatement truly um so let's do this okay, okay. I, I remember you said that you didn't want to get too sciency but while we have our listeners here mm -hmm. i i do want to at least touch on a little bit of the science here because yeah. it's one thing to say that these are some good ideas or these are some culturally relevant practices mm -hmm. or these are things that this group of people likes to do and then jewish people like to do this in tel aviv and you know on and on and on mm -hmm. but if there's a scientific basis for it science is a language that tends to transcend a lot of prejudices so right. let's take a moment and discuss for folks that don't know what is epigenetics okay so epigenetics is the science that deals with how the our genetics has to adapt to our environment. Mm -hmm. So we have genes, right, that we inherit from our family, from our parents. That stays solid, right? That's static. Mm -hmm. We have that genetic 
information no matter what. But, and that lives in the genome of the DNA. Mm. We then have something that's on the outside of the genome, which is the epigenome, and that contains chemical markers. And those chemical markers determine how, when, and if that genetic information gets expressed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we have, so let's just do an example. If we have an ancestor that was on the continent during the slave trade, right? Mm -hmm. There's the ancestor walking around doing their day-to-day -day work. Um, they know that there's someone that is stealing and enslaving Africans. Mm -hmm. So they're fearful, right? Somebody might get me. I don't know if it's going to be somebody from another tribe. I don't know if it's going to be somebody, you know, a colonizer, mm -hmm. but somebody might get me. So they're moving around in fear. They become hypervigilant because we must become hypervigilant in order to survive. Sure. Right. So suddenly we can see farther than we used to be able to see because we have to train ourselves. Our body is going to adjust to this for survival. We can see farther our sense of smell. Right. We see these silly movies where, you know, like either a Native American person or an African person person i smell bear right mm. these things are true right our smell becomes discerning because i need to know if i'm in the bush i need to know is that was there a human being just here Trader was folk, that yeah. you know did they come from another tribe are they european is it a bear you know who's in the woods mm -hmm. and so our dna adapts to whatever environment we're in when that adaptation happens it can be passed, the adaptation of, let's say, hypervigilance can be passed one generation to the next for potentially 14 generations. Mm. We can look at the cherry blossom study to have more information about this. So during in the cherry blossom study, what they did is they took a bunch of rats and they exposed rats to the smell of cherry blossoms. At the time that they were exposing those rats, they were giving the rats a shock at the same time. So they were experiencing pain and smelling cherry blossoms at the same time. Mm -hmm. 14. Love. Yes. Similar. Yes. Okay. 14 generations later, Whoa. those rats who have no experience of I'm being shocked. shocked when they smell cherry blossom, they will have, um, the same amount of stress hormones in their system, the cortisol, noradrenaline, adrenaline as the group of rats that initially smelled the cherry blossoms while they were getting shocked. Mm. So that's why the scientists are starting to say, wait a minute, there's a connection here and this can be passed 14 generations down the road. Mm. But I have to also say, because I'm not a doom and gloom, I'm not everything is bad. This is wonderful information. This is fantastic to know, right? As traumatic as it is for us that potentially we have all this trauma and, trauma's and trauma is cumulative. Mm -hmm. So we have the potential of all this accumulated trauma. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we have the potential to pass love and positive experiences yeah. and benevolence, all those things, yeah. 14 generations forward. This yeah. is healing our, our communities. I love that. Yeah. I want to, man, I wish my dad was alive still. He would like to hear you say that. Oh. That was very special. Thank oh. you for saying that. Oh, that was very welcome. Thank yeah. you. You're I welcome. to hear that. Um, okay. Yes. 14 generations. Yes. I believe, Leanna, that once upon a time, we either read or had a discussion about the Willie Lynch letters. Does that sound familiar? It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Okay. It's okay. ringing a bell. Okay. All right. 
Are you familiar? I can see that conversation. Are you you're familiar Absolutely. with the Willie Lynch letter? Okay. Absolutely. So um we've talked about the Willie Lynch letter on this show before. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you missed that episode, um, I have to give you a little bit of background information. So there was a letter that was reported to have been written by a slaver uh in the Americas who really uh taught or, or really established a framework for breaking a slave in the way that you would break a horse. You would break them from their natural state, yeah. which is the state of human, and you would you would cause them to devolve into a subservient lesser state of humanity. Yes. Um, it was a psychological um undertaking that required for you to take the entire family and i have to say this because i need to retain my journalistic incredible uh, credibility here yes that um whether or not the 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 letter is a truthful accounting of or or that uh, Willie Lynch was a was an actual individual who wrote this. Whether or not that is true has been up for debate for some time. Um, but the Library of Congress has uh, chronicled the Willie Lynch letter um, nonetheless. And so it, it it even if it is a work of fiction, um, it gives insight into actual practices that took place during slavery. Now, if you've never heard of the Willie Lynch letter for Black people in particular, Black people in the world of academia, it's it's a letter that we use. And, and for those that listen to hip hop like me, you might hear it come up in like a Talib verse or, you know, most of those type of people. Um, but read it. It's called How to Make a Slave. OK, um, the reason I'm, I'm referencing this right now and giving you such a background on it is because, um, A, it is a subject of conversations uh you know for for those of us who are black um and are trying to combat things that have been levied leveled sorry against our community um initiatives and so forth uh the disenfranchisement and kind of the the psychological state of our people and so this has kind of been i don't want to call it a guidepost but sort of a a reference point we'll call it that now in this letter toward the end uh funnily enough it uses the word self-refueling which is part of why that word is part of why uh the letter is debated because the word refueling uh wasn't used popularly way back when the letter was supposed to have been written but um self-refueling i want you to keep that word in mind in the letter it says If you implement these things the way this letter instructs, if you take the black man away from his woman with the children present and you tie him to four horses and you send the four horses in four directions and tear his body apart, then you take another black man and you tar and feather him and beat him to the point of death. Do this in front of the black woman and she will raise her children in reverse roles. You need to read it, but this is the the quick and dirty version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, If she raises her children in reverse roles, she will be subservient 
but she will be the one that negotiates with you. Her daughter will be subservient and he will negotiate with you. Her son will be paralyzed in fear and will eat out of the palm of your hand. More or less, this is kind of what is said. Um, And this is where you end up getting the, you know, the, the black mama trope, like you ain't going to come over here with all that, you know, that sort of attitude and, you know, um, what else? Um, Angry black woman, that sort of stuff. Um, You know, these things are kind of, built off of this psychology that's that's in this letter the thing is back to what i was saying it says in the letter if these uh steps are implemented correctly on your plantation uh the slaves will exist in a perpetual state of servitude a self-refueling cycle that will last uh up to 300 years. Is it 300? Yep. Okay. Yep. 300 years or until something resets the natural state of thinking for these people. So you have to break the language. You have to break everything familiar, teach them a new peculiar language, a new peculiar uh, religion. These are words actually from the document. I can't believe I'm remembering so much. Maybe I am smart. I don't know, but or maybe I have a good memory all of a sudden. But anyway, so you're talking about 14 generations and that falls right in line with what I believe to be true of the Willie Lynch letter. It sounds like you've already made this connection before. I have. And the thing about the Willie, you know, <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's part of what I lecture in my um, course. Okay. Well, uh, we, you know, we that? talk about, yes, okay, cool. the Willie, because we see so much of those things still in our communities, in our black communities. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, we're talking about a few things there, right? We're talking about what's happening neurobiologically. Mm-hmm. You're living in fear all the time. You're constantly in fear. You're seeing violence. You're, you know, constantly witnessing violence. You're always in fear. It changes your neurobiology. If we're always in fight or flight response, right? Fight or flight. We know what fight or flight is because everybody's always talking about it, mm-hmm. right? But we're wired for that. If we're walking along in the woods and we see a bear, we're wired so that either we fight the bear, we run like we've never run before in our lives, or we drop on the ground and play dead before we can even think about it, because mm-hmm. that's how we're wired for survival. Mm-hmm. If we're fighting the bear, we become very, very aggressive, right? Because we have cortisol and noradrenaline and adrenaline and all of these, a whole cocktail of stress hormones in our system that's going to cause us to be aggressive, cause us to be hostile, controlling, agitated, violent because we need to survive if we have generations right and we'll go before the willie lynch letter right we're going to go all the way from our ancestor that was on the continent waiting to be stolen right so we have the fear that's there we have the trauma that's there we have the trauma of once they get caught the trauma of the dungeons that they waited in chained together defecating and urinating on one another and then all the people that died then the trauma of walking down that last road before they got onto the boat and then the trauma of some of our ancestors drowning themselves in defiance refusing to get on that boat and watching that happen and then surviving the middle passage right all of this is accumulated trauma then we get to the new land we're put on the auction blocks. We have the trauma of that. And anybody that we might have been related to, then we're going to be separated from, from our loved ones. And we have the trauma of that. And then we get to the plantation. And then we have the Willie Lynch letter and the behaviors described in the Willie Lynch letters, right? This is trauma accumulated 
over time from various sources. It impacts the neurobiology. So we cannot wonder why if we go into our communities and we see big behaviors, we see aggression, we, we don't say it's cultural, it's their messed up genetics. This is an environmental, this is an issue of environment. We have been put in an environment where we are in constant fear over these generations. Then we add in all of our brothers and sisters being shot in the back by the police. Then we add in oh, incarceration. Yes. We add in all of those things. Mm -hmm. So Black what happens? Black right. Code's new deal. Black Code's new deal. What is it? Um, uh, oh, man. Uh, I was going to say it. Um, Black Code's. Jim Crow. Jim, Jim Crow. Crow. That's what I was going to Absolutely. Yeah. Jim Crow. All of those things. So when you go into our communities, you're going to see people who have an activated threat response system. Mm -hmm. They're operating in the brain. I'm going to get sciencey, but you're going to follow me beautifully and you're going to love it. Okay. But when we activate that fight or flight response, we are activating the brainstem in part of our brain, the most primitive part of our brain, the yeah. part of the brain that's intact when we're already born. That's a terrific part of the brain limbic. for survival. Um, limbic system is mm -hmm. part of that, right? Okay. So, that's a terrific system for survival. It's going to control my heart rate, my blood pressure, my respiratory rate, all of those things. I need my diencephalon to inhibit some of my behaviors. I need my cortex in order to learn. Mm. The brain is very efficient. If the brain says danger, 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 and we need to survive, it's going to activate the brainstem. Now we're in survival mode. The other parts of the brain are going to power off. Mm. So I don't have access to my diencephalon. I don't have access to my cortex. So I can't have empathy. I can't have memory. I can't have good um, self-reflection. I can't make good decisions because I don't have access to the part of the brain that I need in order to do that. Whew. Well, that just means we're going to have to schedule a part two for this because I feel like we could talk forever. I wanted to ask you so much. What What is it your hope for the outcomes? What is it? And, and we'll table those things for next time. In the short run, will you please do me a favor and share any social media websites, anything like that with our listeners so that they can. Um, I heal historical trauma dot com is my uh, my website. If you're interested in learning more about epigenetics, check out the Cherry Blossom Study. It's fascinating. Check out the Human Genome Project and you'll get some more information about that as well. All right. And Leanna, the Arizona Pet Project. Plug it. Oh, yeah. My nonprofit, Arizona Pet Project. You can find us at Arizona, or, uh, yeah, azpetproject.org on social media, the Arizona Pet Project. All right. If you're into pets. She's the person you want to talk and to. And if you're into people, we're here for that <laughs> too. All right. Yeah. Okay. And you can follow us at social on all social media at Civic Cipher. I'm Ramses John. Until next week, y'all. Peace.